Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Today we are in Genesis chapter 44. We'll read chapter 44 and the first 15 verses of chapter 45. Joseph and his brothers have fellowship together over a meal. Uh, The brothers were tempted with the favoritism uh, toward Benjamin. And instead of getting upset and angry with him, they, uh, they feast and they ate. And so now we pick up Joseph's last test of his brothers to see if they really have truly changed and to see um, what direction he will take with the family from here. So let us read Genesis chapter 44, beginning in verse 1. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did, as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in. And they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to him, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say, my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who is found to have had to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it for me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father. And there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. And he is only the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us, will we go. 
We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy is not there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was none with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph says to my brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for your word. And as we consider your word and the teaching that we can find in it, we ask, speak to us. Speak to us in a way that reminds us that we are called to be holy. Speak to us in a way that reminds us that we are forgiven through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And speak to us in a way that grows us and matures us in our walk with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so Joseph has one last test for his brothers. Remember, 
The first time he tested them, he put the, the, the silver in his sack, in their sacks, and they took it back, and they, they, they were afraid that they would be looked at as thieves, and so they brought back the silver when they came the second time, along with their brother Benjamin. Um, Simeon was restored to them when they passed the test on the integrity with the silver. And Joseph has one last test after he tested him in that way and also by showing favoritism to Benjamin. And he arranges things so that it looks like Benjamin has stolen his favorite cup. Now, this is a cup that he probably would have drank out of at that dinner that he had with them. It's a, a cup that he said that he used for divination, but we know from past discussions with Joseph that he, he, he gave God credit for the divining that he gave for the interpretation of dreams so calling this his cup of divination was probably part of the ruse part of the test but he is testing the brothers one last time and in fact they are so confident of their innocence that whenever the steward catches up with them you know they speak up and say well you know we're so confident of this that if you find the cup in somebody's sack may that person's life be forfeit may they be executed um, but the, the, the steward changes the, the deal a little bit. He says, nope, nope, that's okay. Whoever I find with it in there will not die, but will be placed in slavery. They're left with the same choice, actually, that they were left with Joseph at the beginning of the story back in chapter 37. Their initial thought was to kill him because of the favoritism. But what did they decide to do? Judah came up with the plan to sell him into slavery. So, Joseph is building this test to where they are put in the same situation with Benjamin. They were put with Joseph. And he wants to see if they have grown, if they have matured. Well, Benjamin is found to be the thief or the alleged thief. The the cup is found in his bag of grain. And the brothers, in grief, in distress, in despair, tear their clothes. They wail. They cry out that this is such a horrible thing. And they follow Benjamin back to Egypt. What did they do when the other younger brother headed to Egypt? They ate, they had a meal, and they headed home, did they not? But as Benjamin goes to Egypt, they follow him back to Egypt. And they, they, they bargain with, with Joseph saying, look, take us all. Judah, as the spokesperson, comes and says, look, we don't know what happened here, but enslave us all. And Joseph says to them, why would I do that? None of you are guilty. None of you are guilty of having stolen what it is that belonged to me. I will take Benjamin. He will be my slave. You guys go home in peace. Can they go home in peace? No, there will be no peace when they get home. Because if they show up without Benjamin, Jacob will have a fit. And Jacob, as he has said, will probably die of grief, of losing his second son. And so Judah gives us a speech here. It is actually the longest speech by any one person recorded for us in the book of Genesis. And think back again on Judah. We talked a little bit about Judah's history last week. He was the architect of the scheme to sell Joseph into slavery. After selling Joseph into slavery, he left the family for a time. He treated his son's wife horribly. And yet here is Judah as spokesperson for the family, he comes up and he gives a speech. Now, I won't go through the whole speech here. We'll kind of hit some highlights because it's, it's just a repetition of what we've already studied over the last several weeks. 
He tells about their first trip to Egypt, their first trip home, their return trip, and all the conversations that happen with that. But I want us to see as as Joseph, as Judah as Judah gives this speech, it's marked by a couple things. It's marked by compassion. What is his main concern in this speech? It's Jacob. And it's the fact that Jacob's life will be ruined once again if they return home without Benjamin. It's also marked by humility. How does he refer to himself and his brothers and his father as he's sitting there talking to Joseph? Your servant, your servant, your servant. It's marked by humility in that he discounts himself. He disqualifies himself as a son of Jacob. How many sons of Jacob does he talk about over and over again in this speech? Two. One that is dead and one that if he doesn't return will bring Jacob to the grave. And finally, it's marked by substitution. Chapter 44, verse 33. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. This is the first place in Scripture where we see one human substituting himself for the punishment of another human. Benjamin, by all accounts, is guilty. And they're not arguing that. They actually argue that they cannot prove their innocence because the evidence is incontrovertible. It would stand up in a court of law. The jury would be unanimous. The jury would be quick on this particular trial because the evidence was there that Benjamin had the cup. And who knows? They had a party the night before. Who knows what they may or may not remember from the party. So they show themselves guilty. But Judah says, look, we can't prove our innocence. And even if we could prove our innocence today, God is punishing us for guilt from a sin Long time ago, punish me instead. And we're reminded here of the great act of substitution that God gave on behalf of his people. Because we all stand before God as rebels, as thieves, as traitors, as sinners. And we deserve God's full punishment locked away for eternity in hell because of our sin. And yet Jesus went to the cross and said, I will take me instead. I will be the substitute. I will take the punishment for the sins of those who believe in me, who rely upon me 100% as their rescue. And so Joseph sees this. The brothers who ate a meal while he was stuck down in the bottom of the cistern, who while they were eating the meal were flippantly and coldly discussing his future, whether it was death or whether it is slavery, sees Judah throw himself as a substitute for Benjamin. Now in the Egyptian culture, it's, it's often during this time period, is portrayed as a very stoic type culture. What do I mean by that? Well, you don't allow your emotions to play out on your face. My father's generation and the generation before him, what was the mantra for boys in those families? Boys don't cry. Boys don't show their emotions. Boys don't let the world see what's going on in the inside. They don't let it play out on their face. And Joseph, for the last 20 plus years, has lived 
in that culture. And he's done not really a good job of living up to that because this is the third time that he's broken down. When his brothers first showed up to him and said that Benjamin and Jacob were good, he had to leave the room to cry. When he saw Benjamin for the first time in 20 or 22 years, he had to leave the room to cry. And here's Joseph, Judah, on his knees. In the very same situation he was in 22 years ago. With the option to abandon the favorite son. And get on with his life. And here's Judah throwing himself upon the mercy saying, take me as a sacrifice. And the emotions finally overwhelm him to the point where he just cries out in anguish. He cries out in joy. Excuse me, he cries out with a little catch in his throat. But he allows his emotions to overwhelm him. And and he kicks the Egyptians out of the room because they would think, hey, what's going on here? Because this is not normal for somebody who's in charge. He kicks them out and he just breaks down and he weeps in joy. Oh, brothers and sisters, how sometimes that how much we could could just kind of let go every now and then and weep in joy for the salvation that has been given to us, for the reconciliation that has been given to us instead of just kind of living life, not letting our emotions show upon our face. And he says, I am Joseph. Now, 10 of these boys right here, 10 of these men, for that revelation to occur to them in light of the fact that they think that for the last couple years, they have been suffering at the hands of this man because of sins against this man that they did not realize this was the man they had sinned against. For him to stand there and go, guys, it's me. It's your brother. Their first thought is terror. Here is the second most powerful man in Egypt that we contemplated murdering and sold into slavery. You'd be scared too. Actually, it'd be interesting. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in the next event in their life because they have to go back home and say, Hey, Dad, remember what we told you about 20 years ago about a kid and a, and, a, and a wild animal? It's apparently not true. But just think about them here in the presence of Joseph. He literally holds their life in his hands. And they're terrified. And what does he give them as the answer? He said, look, yeah, you sold me into slavery. Yeah, you talked about murdering me. But you know what? God was in all of that. Because I am here today, and because I am here today, you will be saved. Jacob will be saved. Your children will be saved. Everything evil that you did, he'll say later on in chapter 50 after Jacob dies, he said, hey, you meant to harm me. You meant to hurt me. He does not, he does not excuse their action. But he says, even though you meant this for harm, God meant it for the saving of many, many lives. Joseph appeals to God's providence. I've been convinced more and more as we have worked our way through Genesis, and this will come up again as we close out Genesis in a few weeks, that it's not only in the beginning God, but it's in the middle God, and it's at the end God. And in every single event, it is God directing every event throughout history. We we live in a chaotic world. 
We live in a world that just seems to be falling apart and at times ripping itself apart at the seams. But God is in control. He is directing history. He is directing the events in people's lives. He's directing the events in your lives for His glory and for His honor. And there is nothing that happens outside of His knowledge and outside of His control. And Joseph says, you do not need to fear me because God has used this situation as bad as it was to bring him glory and to bring us salvation. We look at the horrors oftentimes of the crucifixion and we think of Peter's sermon there after Acts chapter two, where he looks out upon the crowds there in Jerusalem and he says, you crucified the son of God. And God used that to offer you salvation. God used that to offer grace. God used that to offer mercy. Peter was in essence saying you meant harm to God, but he used it for good. So three things we're called to in today's passage as we consider this first, God calls us to repentance Consider Judah's speech to Joseph. It's actually the turning point in the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. It's actually the turning point in the saving of the family of Jacob. He throws himself upon the mercy of Joseph. He admits out loud that he that there was a sin, a crime committed against Joseph and that that crime deserved punishment. Repentance is that it is an admission that we have sinned against God. We have broken his glory or at least attempted to. And that God, in order to remain his glory, remain glorious in that has the right to punish us. Confession and repentance can be defined as giving God glory by admitting our sin and admitting God's right to punish that sin. Judah and his brothers were put in the situation that they were in 20 years before. And it's easy for us to overlook. But Judah confesses and repents of how he acted in that situation. Our guilt has been exposed, he says. Our guilt has been made known. And it's not necessarily the guilt of the theft of the cup. It's the guilt of knowing that they were in this exact same situation before and they failed. Judah, speaking for the brother, admits their guilt from years before and offers himself as the sacrifice for punishment. He admits their wrong. He admits that the punishment is due for that wrong and he offers himself. God calls us to do the same thing with him. To search our lives for those areas where we have broken his law. To admit that we've done that very thing. To admit that God has the right to punish that sin. And to weep with joy for the fact that for those who have embraced Jesus Christ, that punishment has passed over them and fallen upon him. Secondly, he calls us to reconcile. Joseph could have gotten the answers to his questions and gone on with life. Kept selling them grain for the next five years. And just said, you know what? I'm glad they're doing better. I'm glad they've matured. I'm glad they've come to a realization of what they've done wrong, but I just don't need this mess. I'm moving on. But he doesn't. He reconciles with them. Reconciliation 
uh, when people have broken relationships with us is a very difficult process. It involves, involves loyalty to the relationship. In expressing his emotion in the way he did, he showed his allegiance to the Israelites, to the family of Jacob, rather than to the people of Egypt, who, remember, as I said, were very stoic, very closed in their emotions. Reconciliation involves repenting and owning our sin or our part in the conflict. Several commentators made the point there's a really very real uh, chance that Joseph here had really kind of forgotten his family. And he may have been toying with them a little bit, not just to see if they matured, but just to kind of maybe get a little bit of revenge. And he had to own up by admitting who he was. I am your brother, Joseph. I've ignored my father. Bring him here so we can take care of him. We have to overlook favoritism. We have to offer oneself for the other. One of the hardest things to do in reconciliation is to put ourselves aside and to move into it. We demonstrate sacrifice by discarding our power and control in the situation. We embrace deep compassion and tender feelings towards that other person. And finally, as they ended up the the passage today, we talk with one another. So God calls us to repentance. God calls us to reconcile. But God also calls us to remember that He is the foundation for both of those things. Carl Truman, in an interview about a new book uh, that actually Nancy Guthrie wrote, he was interviewing Nancy Guthrie. Um, sounds like a wonderful book. It's called Even Better Than Eden, but it's got nothing to do with today. But he says, if you are looking for a solution to the problem of evil, you cannot look backwards. You must look forward. Joseph doesn't look back and say, "Okay, why did you guys do that? What made you hate me so much that you like tried to murder me and then threw me into slavery? He goes, no, the answer to the evil in my life is what happens in the future. It's the glory that came through saving the people that God wanted me to save. Joseph is able to offer forgiveness and reconciliation for the nightmare that his brothers put him through because he could look forward to the good that God is working through that. We can repent because we know the hope that has given before us. We can reconcile because of the hope that is given before us. Because God exercises his providence over our entire lives. Because in the beginning God and in the middle God and at the end God. Because of those things we are called and we can pursue repentance and reconciliation. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, remind us of the glory that awaits us. Remind us that in the midst of the nightmares of conflict and arguments and fights, remind us that we can repent of our part in that because You are working Your glory. And remind us that we can seek reconciliation because You have worked reconciliation with us and because we look forward to that time when all sin is gone And all relationships are repaired once and for all. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.